Good morning. I want to, for our lesson today, to focus on the whole chapter. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to share verses, and they're going to be on the screen if you don't have our Bible with you, but you may want to look through your own Bible as well. I want to begin with the question, what pleases God? What pleases God? What does it take? Some people think that what it takes to please God is ritual. Say the right prayers, do the right things, go to worship. But that's not what the Bible says. Some think that we please God through following rules and regulations. That if you know all the do's, you know all the don'ts, and you keep all the do's, and you don't do all the don'ts, then you please God. But that's not what the Bible says. Some people think it is about knowing all the right things. If you have all the right beliefs, if you study and have all the right answers, then you please God. But again, that's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? I put verse 6, Hebrews eleven six 6 on the screen. The writer of Hebrews says... And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So the Bible helps us to see here that while it's important to have the right rituals, to go to worship, to have the right knowledge, to, to not do what you shouldn't do and do what you should do, the main thing where it begins is a relationship with God and not just a relationship but a faith-filled, a trusting relationship with God. Jude verse 20 says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Today I want us to talk about how we build this life of faith, as the writer is talking about here, so that God is pleased with us. So what is faith? Well, to answer that question, I want us to do a quick overview of Hebrews chapter 11. We sometimes call this the great faith chapter of the Bible or the hall of faith. And in that way, it truly really does fit. But I want you to see here a couple of questions here that we're going to ask and really let these be questions that tell us about what faith is and kind of outline, if you will, uh, some, some major truths that we see here in Hebrews chapter 11. So the first question is, what is faith? Faith is believing when we don't see it. Faith is believing when we don't see it. The first verse in, in Hebrews 11, some say is the quintessential uh, definition for faith. And it is a definition, but really it's more of a description. And then the remaining verses of the chapter are incredible examples of what it looks like. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 1. From the New International Version. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we do not see. I also added on the screen the English Standard Version. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And I like the way the New Living Translation renders this. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Sometimes we hear and even say to ourselves, I'll believe it when I see it. And we know what we mean by that. But if you believe it when you see it, that's not faith because you see it. Then it's a fact. In fact, God is telling us you got it backwards. You have to believe in order to see it. That's faith. It's like an architect who's designing a building. First, he has to see it in his mind. Before he can write it on the paper and draw out the sketches. Or an artist who's creating a sculpture. First she has to have that image. To have to envision what it's going to look like. Before she can create it with her hands. They have to believe it. Envision. Kind of like an athlete. 
going after a prize or a competition. They have to envision winning, succeeding before it can happen. Werner von Braun, the builder of the Atlas and Saturn rocket, said, There has never been any significant achievement in human history that was not accompanied by faith. While we may not physically see God, that doesn't mean that He doesn't exist. But some people make that exact statement. The Russian cosmonaut who didn't see God in outer space reportedly said, Since I cannot see God, He must not exist. But is that true? Because the American astronaut John Glenn said, To look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. It just strengthens my faith. When Hebrews chapter 11 we see the story of so many men, women of great faith. In fact, the book of Exodus tells us about the details of, of Moses' story. A lot of the details, and it's pretty amazing. But the writer of Hebrews tells us not just what Moses did, but gives us a little bit of a window of why he did what he did. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, talking about Moses, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Faith believes before seeing. There's more. Number two, faith is obeying when we don't understand it. Faith is not just believing when you don't see it. It's obeying when you don't understand it. And we see this aspect of faith when we look at Abraham. In verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. If you're the kind that likes to mark in your Bible, you might underline or or, or circle the word obeyed and faith because there's a definite connection between the two. In fact, you see that over and over again in this chapter. Abraham is about 75 years of age. We think of that as being about retirement age, if not well beyond retirement age. But not Abraham. God is calling him on an adventure of a lifetime. And God tells Abraham to move from what he knows, from what he's always known, to where he doesn't know. Doesn't know anybody. Doesn't even know where he's going. That takes an amazing amount of faith. Abraham believed God and obeyed, even when it didn't make any sense. And not just leaving home and going to a new place, but even more so. And the writer here mentions it in chapter 11. When he was given that son in an old age, was told to sacrifice his son, the very one through whom the whole world would be blessed. That made no sense. Made no sense at all. How do you understand that? You can't understand that. But Abraham believed. And I think this is where we struggle sometimes. Because we're willing to obey God, but we want some kind of guarantee. God, tell me what it's going to be like on the other side of this obedience. Let me look around the corner. I want to know how everything's going to turn out. And God helps us to understand that's not how faith works. That isn't faith. God wants us to believe Him, trust Him, and obey Him. Even when we don't understand it. And there are so many things, not just these commands that these people, men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 did, but even things that you and I, as followers of Jesus, that we're commanded to do, that still doesn't make any sense at all. But by faith, we too are to obey. When people hurt us, it makes no sense for us to forgive them, turn the other cheek, 
This makes no sense at all. The natural thing when we are hurt is to hurt them back, to get even, to retaliate. And yet God teaches us that our resentment and our bitterness really only hurts us, not the person that hurt us at all. So here's the point. When we obey God, even when it doesn't make sense, we are building this foundation of faith we read about in Jude verse 20. And then number three, faith is persisting when we don't feel like it. Faith is persisting when we don't feel like it. Not just when you can't see, not just when you don't understand, but what about how you feel? And this is so opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us if you feel like doing it, if that's what you think is right, then go for it. Who's to judge? But if we live by our emotions, we end up being manipulated by our moods. And as people of faith, we are to live by faith, not by emotions, not by how we feel. Faith is persisting even when we feel like giving up. But let's be real about this. There are times, sometimes moments, sometimes days, sometimes seasons when we don't feel like serving. There are times where we don't feel like turning the other cheek or going the second mile. There are times we don't feel like holding your tongue or being patient or being loving. We don't feel like being kind. Sometimes you are so angry. Sometimes you are so distraught. You don't feel like praying. And those feelings are real. But that's really when we need to do it. If you only do what is right, what you ought to, what you should, when you feel like it, think about it. Satan will make sure that you never feel like it. And we'll be glad to help him with that. Persisting through feelings is what makes that athlete work through that training day after day. Persisting through feelings is what makes that musician practice hour after hour. And they're the ones who benefit through that persistence. Not because they feel like it, but because they keep doing what they're supposed to do. Godly men and women of faith don't become godly women and men in faith just because they live another day, just because they live another year, just because you've been a Christian for 10 years or your whole life, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you have any more faith than the day you began. It is by choice. It is deliberate. It doesn't just happen. And I think all of these in this hall of faith, as we call Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't get that way by accident. They persisted. And we see the highlights here listed in the chapter. They developed habits necessary to help them to keep doing what they knew they were supposed to do. And it was all by faith in spite of how they felt. Moses. We get a few details here about how he led the Hebrew nation out of slavery in Egypt to go across the Red Sea. And Moses is right there with them. And yet after... Leading them out of Moses, seeing the miraculous hand of God, because of the unbelief of his people, Moses had to suffer with them for 40 years. Not because of his lack of faith, because of their lack of faith. How do you persist for 40 years? That is a long time, and that's exactly what the writer helps us to see here. By faith, Moses persisted. What it said in verse 27? Because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he was able to see that. But look at the verses just before that statement. Look at how Moses' life and his decisions were made, and none of them based on feelings. Verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Difficult circumstances cause us to want to quit. Cause us to want to give up. Give up on family. Give up on a marriage. Give up on people. Give up on church. Give up on God. Because we're in a difficult situation. They seem beyond hope. But God is challenging us to have faith to believe His promises and to persist. And then number four, faith is thanking God before we receive it. <coughs> faith is thanking God before we receive it. In verse 30 of chapter 11, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Jericho, if you remember the story, was one of the, if not the most fortified city in all the land of Canaan. And God said for them to march around it for six days in silence, and then on the seventh day, you remember the story, seven times, and then after that seventh time, then they blew the trumpets, and then they shouted. Not exactly a grand military strategy. Talk about believing without seeing. Talk about obeying when it doesn't make sense. This is not the way to take a city. But have you ever wondered what they shouted? What did they say? I can't help but think they shouted victory and praises to God. They believed that God was going to make it happen. Faith is not believing God can because God can do anything He wants whether we believe it or not. God's ability isn't dependent on our thinking. Faith believes that God is going to do something even when we don't see it or understand it. And Jesus gives us this formula to pray. And, and notice how these two kind of dovetail together. Mark 11, verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. If you wait until you receive something, and then give thanks, that's gratitude. And that's good. But that's not faith. That's not what we're talking about here. Faith believes in advance. And thanking God... Before you receive it. That's the kind of faith that can cause the walls of Jericho to fall down. And that brings me to the last aspect of building a great life of faith. Number five, believing. Faith is believing without receiving. Faith is believing without receiving it. Talk about a plot twist. The writer of Hebrews also mentioned those who continue to believe even though they never personally received the promise. Look at verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Living by faith doesn't exempt us from problems. You can read that through this chapter and get that pretty well. But so many of them, in fact, the ones that we remember the most are the ones that because they persisted, because they had faith, because they did the right thing, because they obeyed, they got what they were promised. And those are great stories and they encourage us. But the writer of Hebrews also explains, look in verse 40. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they'd be made perfect. Because some of them never received the promise in this life. They believed even though they didn't receive the promise. God had not yet sent their son. They knew of the coming Messiah. They didn't realize that. They didn't reap the benefit of that. They didn't live to see it with physical eyes. 
See, we need to understand that for years the Jews, and you remember this, were often persecuted. In fact, the nations seemed to take turns being the enemy of the Jews. The Syrians, the Romans, the Assyrians, they just take turns being the, the enemy of the Jews. But when you were a Jew, and then you believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and you became a Christian, not only did you have the continued persecutions of the Syrians and the Romans, now you're also persecuted by your fellow Jews who did not believe in the Messiah. And so all throughout the letter, the author here is writing, encouraging them, helping them to understand following Jesus is the only way to go. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. And he reminds them that those who've been faithful to God always first face persecution. But the end result was glorious victory, even if they themselves didn't experience it in this life. Look at verse 32 and through 34. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained whatever was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. But notice verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. This world is not worthy of them. I think it's great these verses are also included. Not just those who received what was promised in this life, but those who died for the cause. And their glory is going to be beyond their imagination that we can even imagine as well. And then the next few verses, he tells them to do three simple things. Now, in our Bibles, this is the next chapter. So we kind of think, oh, this is a new section. But remember, the original letter wasn't written in chapters. There's no numbered verses. And so this is a continued thought. I remember my professor at Frieda Hardeman teaching me, especially in the book of Hebrews, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to mark that and ask, what is it there for? So what he's saying here in these next coming verses of chapters 12, 1, 2, and 3 and following is all based on what was just said in chapter 11. Because of all these incredible examples of faith, look at verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What an amazing heritage of faith that we have. All these heroes of faith, but most of all, and Jesus is listed here among them. So three quick things He reminds us. And I put this on your outline if you're seeing I want you to see this in your Bible. This comes straight from the text. Number one, look at them. Look at them. Remember, you're not the only one. We often feel that way, don't we? When you're going through it, am I the only one? Everybody else seems to be succeeding. Everybody else seems to be okay. 
And Satan works that way. So the writer is saying, look at them, remember. Paul tells them, I mean, the author tells them it's important for them to remain faithful because of their example. These witnesses, he uses that word, they've gone on before. And he paints the picture, he portrays it like you're in a race. Like you've gone into the stadium and you're on the track and you get the idea, he calls them the cloud of witnesses, like, like these folks are up in the stands and they're watching us. And that's good because we need to know people are watching us. Because some of us really struggle with that. We can be one person when somebody's watching and somebody else when nobody else is there. So to know that we're being watched can be a good thing to help us to do what we ought to do to remain faithful. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's a good motivation. When this author mentions this great cloud of witnesses, I'm not so sure that what he's saying there is that Abraham and and Moses and Jacob and Isaac and Rahab and, and all of them are on the edge of heaven and they're looking over and they're watching us go around the race of life and they're cheering us on and they're seeing our every move. Now that's a good way to think about it, but that's actually not the way he writes it here. In fact, several commentators were explaining this. Let me share what Wearsby, Warren Wearsby wrote it this way. This great cloud or assembly of witnesses, these are heroes of faith. It's not suggested here that these men and women are now in heaven watching us as we run the race, like people seated in a stadium. The word witnesses doesn't mean spectator, like we might think about. Our English word martyr comes from the same Greek word that's translated witness. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, this is the word that's used to describe Stephen. Talking about him being a martyr. But he's a witness. He's a witness for God. He has a testimony for the Lord. It's sort of a legal term in that regard. Not that he's watching everybody, but that his life is the witness. His life is the testimony. These people are not watching what we're doing as much as the fact that their lives, what they did by faith, is bearing witness that you too can remain faithful. That you can do the same thing. God bore witness to them and now they're bearing witness to us. Remember Paul wrote these words in Romans 15 verse 4. I didn't put it on the screen, but you're familiar with these. Whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You want to have hope? You read about these folks who went before us. And what a great example they are to us. See, my opinion is just like Wearsman these others, is that this is not talking about all these great men and women of faith who are watching us as much as their examples to us. And they are, by these statements, saying, we did it. And you can do it too. It may be a moment of fury and you're cut in half. It may be 40 years of dealing with the unbelief of everybody around you. But you can remain faithful. We did, and you can too, and it's going to be worth it. However, we also need to realize that there are people watching us. It may not be all these great people of faith looking at us from heaven, but you've got family and friends and neighbors and co-workers. They are watching. They know if you talk about your faith, and they see when you don't live by faith. And they do see when you live by faith. When you talk about seeing things that are unseen, about obeying what you don't understand, about being grateful for what you've not yet received, this is living by faith. 
So first, look to them. Realize you're not alone. And then secondly, look to yourself. You know, reading this chapter is inspiring. And it's also challenging. It can help but be inspired though as you read through it. But it doesn't guarantee that you're going to read through Hebrews chapter 11 and, and get to the end of the chapter and go, wow, I just grew in faith. I, I, I was reading through the chapter and I thought about how often I found myself reading, th- watching one of those uh, weight loss shows. You know, super overweight and they're exercising. I'm sitting there eating this big old bowl of ice cream, you know, just going, oh, that's just terrible. And I'm just shoveling it in. Just because you read about it, just because you think about it, doesn't mean you're going to change your life. But I think most of us in our hearts, we really do want to run the race well, don't we? We want to stay faithful. We're not alone. We have those who've gone before us and they've passed the torch. But there are some things that we could do that will help. Two things. First, he says, throw off everything that hinders. That's the NIV. The English Standard Version says, lay aside every weight. That's probably a better translation. Especially because it uses the word weight in there. And that's an interesting term. Because I don't know how when you hear the word lay aside every weight, how you think about that. But that word is also used and translated to mean a mass or a tumor. So if you think about running a race, and you think about lay aside every weight, you think, well, of course you're not going to run in your, your winter coat or your bulky boots. You know, you're going to wear running clothes that are lightweight. And, and that does fit, but it also fits in the sense of lay aside a weight, and that could be a mass, or it could just be weight. Because it's hard to run when you've got a lot of weight. And so we say lay aside the weight, get rid of that. Whatever it is that slows you down, that hinders you, But then he tells us to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. And I'm glad he mentions both. Because the idea of that weight, it might be a mass or a tumor. Maybe just be excess baggage. may not be sin necessarily, but you're not going to run as well if you've got that kind of baggage, that kind of weight holding you back. But there's also that sin that easily entangles. We don't even have to talk about that, do we? We know what that means. That sin that just grabs our ankles and it won't let go. It reminds us of our past. It so easily entangles. The English Standard Version says, the sin which clings so closely. There's a troubling passage in Scripture about Judas. John chapter 12 says that while Judas is one of the twelve, he served as the treasurer. He kept the money bag. And it also mentions there in verse 6 that He would sometimes help himself. He was a thief all along. Stealing from the others. That's who he was. I don't know that all the others understood that at the time. But as John was writing this later, through inspiration, he knew it then. Finally, it came the time where Judas found himself with that ultimate moment, that ultimate temptation to sell Jesus out for a few pieces of silver. More money in his pockets. At that point, the Bible says Satan entered Judas. You remember that phrase? What does that mean? Satan entered Judas. Some suggest that Satan decided that this is too important to mess up now. I'm going to take over. I'm going to take charge of Judas. But we'd all agree, no matter how you interpret that phrase, Judas had already opened the door. That was already his character. That was already his weakness. That was already his flaw. That was already his weight. That was his sin. 
And I share that because I wonder how many of us today sometimes find ourselves entangled and we say, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way I was brought up. It's too late. I can't change now. After all, a lot of people are much worse than I am. We excuse rather than just acknowledging that we too have a sin. Throw off everything that hinders and fix your eyes on Jesus. That's number three. Look to Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you remember when you were in trouble as a child and your mom or dad, and especially I think of my mom saying, look at me when I'm talking to you? Did your mom ever say that to you? Because you were guilty and you know it, and the last thing you wanted to do is look at your mom and you look everywhere but her. And she'd call you out on it. Look at me when I'm talking to you. We understand that. I wonder if that would be Jesus' message to us. Look at me. Look at my eyes. Think of how much better we'd be at making decisions. How much better we'd be at keeping our faith. How much better we'd be at turning the other cheek. How much better we'd be at being persistent year after year if we're looking constantly, fixing our eyes on Jesus. A college student was stopped by a highway patrolman for speeding. He was guilty. He was speeding. He knew it. The officer knew it. He said, I'll give you a choice. I can give you a ticket, but I don't want to. Your other option is to come back to the patrol car and look through this picture album. Well, he's a college student. He didn't have any money. He didn't want to pay a ticket. He said, I'll take choice number two. So he went back to the, to the patrol car. They sat in there together. And the agreement was he had to look at every single picture. And he did. And what that patrolman had gathered was picture after picture of horrible wrecks caused by speeding. He would mention this one and, and who died and what happened and head-on collision. This family that was just minding their own business got hit by a speeder one after another after another after another. It was awful. It was awful. College students said he'd rather have paid the ticket. Why? Because he was so convicted of the truth and how dangerous it was to speed. Because he fixed his eyes on the consequences. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, how much better our life is going to be. We're going to remember that He died on the cross for us. We're going to remember that it's God's love that sent Him there. That God wants the best for us. And in spite of the worst in us, He loves us anyway. So He sent His Son to die on the cross. And what He wants to know is if you believe. Do you believe? Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth to save you from your sins by dying on the cross to come back from that grave so that you could have the resurrection as well? Do you believe that? Are you ready to have your sins washed away in baptism? Do you believe He can make you clean? Do you have that kind of faith? Or if you have been washed, if you are a child of God, like Moses, are you able to see the invisible? And by faith, 
be persistent until the Lord comes home. Our song of invitation is to encourage you to come to the Lord. Won't you come as we stand and sing?